This is Andrew Schultz. I'm the sales manager for CHS Ag Services. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Whitney Pittman along with Randy Conan. We'll hear updates from Don Wick and Tyler Donaldson. In a Q&A session at the Commodity Classic, U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack highlighted the importance of the biofuels market and sustainable aviation in the sustainability and what the future looks like for them. If you look at the volume levels of, of biofuels that are now incorporated in our fuel supply, you will see that they are at record levels. If you look at the earnings uh, and the, the profits of our biofuel manufacturing facilities, many of them, you'll see that they are doing better than they, they did. Uh, you'll see that there are not uh, a significant number of waivers being granted, which makes uh, the, bio, the renewable fuel standard a bit unstable, right? right. A commitment to uh, year-long E15 in 2025 is a continuation of that. Secretary Vilsack points to tax credits that help create opportunities for the new sustainable fuels market using locally produced commodities. Well, the future is sustainable aviation fuel and transportation fuel, for, for not just for cars and trucks, but for, for jets and boats. And the question is, how do you incent, how do you create a new industry that doesn't exist? Well, the government has a role by saying, here are ways in which we can reduce the cost of startup. We can establish tax credits that are fairly generous, uh, and those tax credits will spur the market to create opportunity. Now, in order for that market to be created, when you start an industry, it seems to me like you want a broad array of potential feedstocks to be utilized and available so the marketplace can, over time, decide you know, which are the most efficient and most effective. Minnesota Governor Tim Walz happy with EPA's decision to allow year-round E15 use for Minnesota, South Dakota, and six other states. We're a little disappointed. We're going to have to wait a bit. Um, we'll keep pushing on that. Um, just always believed in this, always believed in the innovation, and, and I've been pushing in Minnesota being a global leader now on sustainable aviation fuel moving from that. That's because we have this industry here. It's because we have the, the innovation, the expertise, and it's because we had a bipartisan group of folks that understood that... Um, we're going to have to figure out this issue for uh, for liquid fuels and airplanes. We're not going to be flying them with batteries anytime soon. And it's a big piece of, uh, of sustainability. But I just think the market is, there's no ceiling on this one. And the rest of the world's looking to Minnesota to, to be the first mover in this. So I'm excited about what's on the horizon. Walsh says Minnesota is in a position to pave the way for the sustainable aviation fuel industry. And this goes to the entrepreneurs, and this is where, you know, government's not going to solve this. And we said with climate and some of these things, but we're a mover in it. I keep telling people it's really interesting when I saw at the big uh, World Economic uh, Forum that happens in Davos, where all the big, important folks go to talk about the economy. Their session on first movers and the future was Minnesota sustainable aviation fuel and our tax credit and what we're doing. The rest of the world is looking. We have North America's biggest airport or, you know, one of the one of the best on delivering. We've got the most advanced biofuels infrastructure. We've got folks who are looking to move on climate in a way that makes sense economically as well as environmentally. I mean, we have all the pieces. Logistical issues continue to be a worry in the ag sector. That's getting attention at Commodity Classic. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Don Wick has more. For farmers, the three R's are roads, rivers, and rail. 
Fairmont, Minnesota farmer Lauren Sikalski coordinates the United Soybean Board Infrastructure and Connectivity Committee. Low water levels on the Mississippi River have been a domestic problem. Overseas, it's the conflict on the Red Sea. It's, it's a real problem because now people are having to go around the uh, southern tip of Africa because of the Suez Canal's problems. Again, the Panama Canal, the lake there is really low on water. So, yeah, it's complicated. On the rail side, route to the PNW, we, with a lot of our beans head that direction. How confident are you in, in that rail system? Well, I think it's, 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 it's a real good, we're in a real good place there. Uh, we just uh, visited with Burlington Northern Santa Fe, uh, and they've got extra, uh, 600 extra units of power. If we ever get in a lot of trouble, they'll get them the cobwebs off of them and, and use them. So I, I really feel good about heading out west with soybeans. Commodity Classic wrapping up later today. Our coverage made possible by the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, by the Minnesota Soybean Growers Association, by Ag Country Farm Credit Services, and by Truterra. Reporting from Houston and Commodity Classic, I'm Don Wick on the Red River Farm Network. For Minnesota Soybean Growers Association Treasurer Ryan Mockenthun, there's one overriding concern heading into spring. Um, high input cost. I mean, we're at a, probably our biggest deficit we've had in quite some time in our input costs. You know, we'll be putting inputs in the ground and below break-even numbers right now. So um, a strong farm bill to help back us up and give us some insurance, you know, as farmers. We definitely need that, especially for the younger producers. The 26 states with members within the National Corn Growers Association have delegates at Commodity Classic to hammer out policy. North Dakota Corn Growers Association Executive Director Brenda Elmer sees it as a very deliberate process. It is really interesting to watch the whole process. Um, you know, it's named Corn Congress uh, for a reason. Um, you know, every little word, whether you use the may or shall, it, it, it's, you know, it is reflective of some of those uh, committee meetings um, on, on Capitol Hill. Um, but they take it seriously because it does matter um, when you have the powerful corn lobby on, on on the hill in DC, um, you know, we have to give direction to the National Corn Board and the National Corn staff. Um, what are the priorities? Uh, what are they sent up there to do? At Corn Congress, the Minnesota Corn Growers Association is seeking crop insurance changes. Here's President Dana Allen Tully. So um, we have one um, is to kind of broaden or give us a bit, little better direction on enterprise units and cropping type and so being able to um, distinguish between uh, corn grain and corn silage as well as irrigated and non-irrigated land and, and giving our growers uh, a little more certainty as they're working through their crop insurance. Congress approved a temporary stopgap spending bill Thursday and to avoid a government shutdown. The House passed the bill Thursday afternoon on a 320-99 to 99 vote. Senate passed the measure on a 77-13 to 13 vote. The measure extends funding until March 8th for part of the government, including USDA. The rest until March 22nd. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. The Ag Innovation Campus facility has a few stops and stutters in its early days of operation. Board Chairman Mike Skog said one of those adjustments is happening now. So right now, um, as we're speaking, we're, we're remodeling some of the oil handling, uh, pumping and, and, and plumbing that we had uh, 
engineered that wasn't really working like we had hoped it would. So we thought uh, now's a good time to redo that. Uh, so, you know, we got a few weeks there of shutdown to redo that. The Ag Innovation Campus, which is located at Crookston, will partner with private and public entities to expand value-added opportunities across the region. You know, we have people working on that type of thing all the time that, that have connections with uh, things in the region and beyond the region. So, um, you know, there's a bright spot for a lot of those things and a lot of specialties that other companies want and uh, want to be able to do there in our facility. But some of those things will have to be uh, engineered um, as time goes on, too, so that we can incorporate them into the, our current size and everything like that. Biologicals can seem like a new trend or fad in egg production, but they've been around longer than we think. For more, we go to Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Di Tyler Donaldson at Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Speaking with Certus Biologicals Vice President of Research and Development, Sean Barry. Can you start by helping someone like myself out on the importance of biologicals, what they are, what their role is in essentially maximizing yield and uh, farmer's bottom line? Biologicals seem like they're new to most people. It's a category of products and technologies. It's uh, many, many different things. They can be living organisms. They can be bacteria, fungi, viruses. They can also be non-living organisms like plant extracts, volatiles, semiochemicals. So it's very important to know, first of all, what it is if you want to have a conversation about biologicals. The second thing I always advise people is, what does it do? Is it a biostimulant? Does it help promote plant growth? Is it a bionutrition? Does it help with nutrient, nitrogen, phosphorus uptake? Or is it a biopesticide, which also can be a big group of products? It can be biofungicides, bioherbicides, bioinsecticides, bionomaticides. And then talk about the crops. Is it row crops? Is it specialty crops? Because they're quite different to each other. And how, how are you going to apply it? Are you going to put it on the seed? Are you going to put it in the soil or on the leaves? Okay, so it sounds like for a farm out there who's interested in biologicals, they can't just go out and buy a generic brand, so to speak. They have to put in their own research into what they're trying to grow, maybe their, their landscape of their fields and what's in their soil structure and that before they can know what type of biological to use. Yep, and I, I, biologicals, because it's pretty new to most people, it's all about education. So ask lots and lots of questions. Ask more questions than you may have done with chemicals, which you're used to. It sounds like biologicals then could be a pretty useful tool just in general for a farmer to have for their uh, production and uh, bottom line. But also it sounds to me a little bit like biologicals could have a role to play in helping with weed control and resistant weeds. How do you see biologicals' role with weed resistance? That's a good question. So I see biologicals as another tool in the toolbox. I see it as another tool that the grower has. Uh, the tools they've had for a long time, the chemicals are excellent. They've been very blessed to have a lot of new chemicals coming out the last few decades who are excellent, that work well. But that, um, the, the, the pipelines are not so full. There's no real new modes of action really coming out, despite everybody trying. And the products that farmers have relied on are becoming uh, scarcer and scarcer, hard to register, hard to keep re-registered. So we don't want them to lose those tools. And a lot of the reasons why they lose them is uh, either regulatory issues or resistance issues. So biologicals can help with the, with the resistance issues. It's another mode of action. If you make a tag mix of a biological and a chemical, you then have a double triple mode of action where you trick in the pathogen or the insects even more. That was Certus Biologicals Vice President of Research and Development Sean Barry. Live coverage of the 2024 Commodity Classic is brought to you by Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, Minnesota Soybean Growers Association, Ag Country Farm Credit Services, and TruTerra. For the Red River Farm Network, I'm Tyler Donaldson. Martinson Ag Risk Management President Randy Martinson thinks the funds are taking some profits in a quiet news day. I think we did see some fund liquidation. 
you know, this week as some farmers were letting some of those March basis fixed contracts go and there was some farmer selling taking place. So we did see the funds lighten up on some of their short positions, but they're still, you know, expected to be holding still record uh, level shorts right now. So it's going to take a little bit more of a weather issue or something to try to get them or to get them start to unwind. This is the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Let's catch up with Ag Week reporter Ariana Schumacher. Ariana, what do you have for us on the cover of Ag Week? Yeah, so this week's cover story, we talk a little bit about the veterinarian shortage across the Midwest and how the 2 plus 2 program between South Dakota State University and the University of Minnesota has finally brought vet school to South Dakota and is getting students ready to go fill that shortage. Are they seeing a lot of interest in that program? They are. So they take 20 students a year, so they'll have two years here at SDSU, and then those those students will move over to um, the University of Minnesota for the last two years of the program, and they, they've been full so far every year. To fill the rural veterinarian shortage has kind of been a growing problem, hasn't it? Yeah, so that's been a problem that they've been seeing for the past few decades across the Midwest, and the demand in veterinarian services has also increased as more people are getting pets and um, larger livestock companies are coming in as well. So there's just a higher demand and less vets to meet that demand. Is the focus on large animal veterinarians or just rural veterinarians in general? It's rural veterinarians in general. So most of them do large animal, food animal, and companion animal veterinarian services. So we did actually have a really good interview with a student here at SDSU who plans to go back to his rural area and be a vet so you can learn a little bit about why he's chosen this path and how he hopes to help his hometown area. Well, sounds interesting, Ariana. Looking forward to reading about it next week's Ag Week. Taking a look at markets before we leave you, Minneapolis May wheat 15 and a quarter lower at 643 and three quarters, September down 14 and a quarter. Chicago wheat 18 and three quarters lower at 557 and a half. Kansas City down 23 and three quarters at 563 and a half. Corn May futures five and a quarter cents lower at 424 and a quarter. July down five and three quarters at 435 and a half. December five cents lower at 458 and a quarter. Soybeans May futures eight and three quarter cents higher at 1149 and three quarters. Live cattle April futures two dollars sixty two cents higher. This is the Red River Farm Network.